let yourself dream big. Let yourself, you know, don't keep yourself boxed into some small, you know, well, I'm, I only deserve this or that's too much. I'll never, you know, forget that. Like set your goals high, you know, aim high and really go after whatever you're passionate about. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. We are live on location at the Park City Go Abundance event. It is absolutely amazing. And I have met some of the most incredible people like the person I'm about to introduce you to right now. His name is Sterling Shrout. He's a father of two, avid adventurer, small business owner, and real estate investor. Now, what's really interesting, the rest of what I would typically read to you is the stuff that you would go, wow, as you're listening to this. And I'm not going to read any of that to you on purpose because I want you to hear his story. It is so powerful. And there's so many brilliant nuggets we can all take from it. So I'm going to kind of keep you in suspense here for a bit. But Sterling, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is great to have you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, Dr. Richard. So I want to jump right into it. I want to jump into your story, the the challenges that you had. And, and then we'll go from there. And we're going to pull out some things and, and kind of break them down. Okay. I'm 31 years old now. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. I didn't start off in a very good direction. And then bear with me through my story because it takes a while to get better. Um, so at 15, you know, I said, I grew up um, in extreme poverty. Um, at 15, I had, you know, the people I'd surround myself with, I'd ended up selling drugs, um, getting caught for that, um, becoming involved in, you know, the criminal justice system, probation, jail, things like that. Uh, at 18, I get in trouble again. Uh, I get my door kicked in by the ATF, um, ACE Combined Task Force. Um, and that was for trafficking drugs. That was for trafficking ecstasy, possession of a dangerous ordinance for dynamite, and then engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity for running a drug ring. Um, so from, you know, 19 on, you know, I fight that case for a little bit. I end up spending three years in prison. I uh, get out right before my 23rd birthday and, you know, kind of based on that whole theme of where I was as a teenager selling drugs to, you know, young adult. Now I'm getting out of prison as a felon and I didn't gain any skills while I was incarcerated. So I get, I get out and I don't know how to interact with society. Um, I try to, you know, do the right thing, get a job, uh, get my stuff together. And there was a certain point specifically where I remember kind of like the last of my self-esteem, you know, um, not to put down anybody who, you know, works fast food or 
any of that. But for me, I thought I was, you know, better than, you know, working at McDonald's to, you know, flip French fries or hamburgers, whatever. Uh, I go and I apply to fast food place finally. And they turned me down because of my record. It said they, they can't hire me. So then that was kind of the last straw in me trying at that point. Um, <clears throat> so I ended up hanging out with the people I used to hang out with. Um, I got burned bad enough by the experience of, you know, selling drugs that I didn't want to mess with that anymore. But I remember the comfort that doing drugs gave me. Uh, to deal with those feelings and the you know anxiety and scared um, being scared, and so I fell right back into doing drugs, um, except for this is you know 2014 um, height of the opioid epidemic. Um, Dayton, Ohio was uh, greatly affected by it, so were a lot of places around the country. Um, so I fell into that, and it took a lot of years to you know, get from 2014 to where I am now. I spent, you know, a couple of years just, you know, committing petty crimes, just being homeless, sleeping where I could, living in, you know, abandoned houses and a vehicle, if I had a vehicle at the time. Um, ended up running to Florida because they wouldn't extradite to uh, Salvation Army Rehab down there. And at that point, I still didn't know I was a drug addict. I just that was just my life. I was just existing. I didn't have any plans or goals or anything um, or much self-awareness. And so that was the first time I was exposed to the idea that, like, you can get better. You don't have to be, um, you know, a victim of your circumstances or upbringing. Um, and I got to see other people who had done what I wanted to do. And so the hope was instilled there and I managed to get sober for two years and I was, um, went through AA and I mentored people or I was a mentee and then I mentored people. I ended up working for the rehab that I was staying at. Um, then I relapsed and moved back to Ohio and um, this all culminates in August of 2019. I had since getting that initial desire to get sober I had been, you know, fighting with it back and forth. I didn't know how to stay sober. I would get some brief sobriety, relapse, and that cycle kept going. Um, at the beginning of 2019, my son was born, and I was doing good then. He was a few months old. I had a brief relapse. Well, that relapse um, resulted in me overdosing in a Taco Bell drive through um, and it was a really significant overdose. I didn't come back until we were basically at the hospital already. Um, but something there clicked. Um, I realized I didn't want to die and then, you know, just completely destined my son to, a, you know, a life of struggle. And we can kind of pick up from there if you want, or. So there's so much to unpack there. Um, I have to ask because it kind of struck out to me and it may not even be terribly relevant, but it's a point of interest. Why did you have dynamite? Why were you arrested? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that wasn't like a, a gangster, you know, uh, drug drug life thing. That was the, you know, the true intention was just kind of some, you know, you know, rednecks the wrong word or whatever. But I was going to blow up a washing machine, you know, like at a junkyard, just some, you know, some something. That was the intention of it. It wasn't, you know, super sinister. Okay. Um I, I just, that struck me as, as odd. So, you know, what's interesting and, and very typical of people that go through the recovery process is there are peaks and valleys, right? 
and you relapsed a number of times. I, I do want to clarify. So um, at the time when you had the Taco Bell incident and you, know, you already had your son, were you married? Uh, was so, it just you and the kid, like you and your son? Like what, what was that, the dynamic there family-wise? Yeah, so <clears throat> I've been with the uh, same, you know, my fiance now um, for eight of the last 12 years. Okay. Um, we had a, you know, obvious breakup when I was in prison um, and I was incarcerated. But besides that, you know, we had tried to make things work and, you know, <laughs> Okay. I almost said successfully, <laughs> semi-successfully since... <laughs> and tell us again how old your son was at the time of the, the Taco Bell incident. Yeah, so he was six months old okay. at that point. And, and what drug was that, if you if I can ask? Uh, that was fentanyl. Okay. And a lot of people struggle with fentanyl. And so you said that, you know, this time felt different, right? You were you woke up in the hospital and, you know, was it having the son? Was that what was the differentiator for you compared to all the other times is now you had the responsibility of being a parent? Was that what, what made this different for you this time? Um, so, you know, having the son, like having, you know, my son be born, you know, I felt a sense of, you know, responsibility to him. I love the child. Um, I think it's different for guys. Like I... For me personally, I've, I love him more and more and more and more. And um, so I didn't, I don't want to say that I didn't, you know, maybe care about him as much back then, um, but I didn't know how to, I felt kind of helpless in the sense of, you know, I was trying to stay sober. I was, you know, sober at points, but I still wasn't changing anything. We were still extremely poor. Um, that we were still struggling to make it. Um, the thing with the the overdose that clicked, um, which I don't know, it's an old movie. Uh, what about Bob? But when he says your death therapy <laughs> cured me, that's that's more of a joke. But no, when I when I did, you know, they Narcan me and oxygen and um, had the you know whatever convulsions or my um, muscles were pumping blood back into my body and. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think how to word this. I didn't have, I lost like um, a lot of guilt or shame or things that you would expect me to feel after that overdose. That that stuff was just gone. That like I had a, a definite answer or a truth now. Like I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to leave my son to figure life out on his own um, in the same, you know, so, um, environment that I'd had to figure things out in. Um, so only the only direction to go is forward is, is now I, you know, now I have to change this. I have to change our circumstances. I have to change what I know. I have to change what I'm able to do, um, in order to change the outlook for my son or at least the options. Or... And so, you know, you now have the will to live, but you still have your criminal record and, you know, the challenges that that brings with vocational you know, status. So how did you flip that script? Take, take us through what happened next. Yeah. So, you know, because of my criminal record, it was Craigslist jobs. It was, you know, handyman work and just whatever miscellaneous labor I could, I could do. <clears throat> well, I'd picked up, you know, I'd picked up tools along the way, um, physical tools, um, power tools, things like that. And I started to pick up skills with drywall, carpentry, you know, minor plumbing, electric, 
Um, so I started, you know, trying to take on a little bit bigger jobs. Um, my brother-in-law, I built an arcade for him that, that fall. And, um, uh, after doing that, I had saved up, you know, like $3,000 and that this is a real specific point to, to kind of how all this happened. Um, I asked the Google gods, you know, how do I invest $3,000 to not be poor anymore? And that led to a podcast and I'd never listened to a podcast. Um, well on that podcast, this was my first exposure to the entrepreneurial environment, the self-improvement environment. You know, they were mentioning rich dad, poor dad, richest man in Babylon, all these books. And I was really inspired by what they were saying. So I started listening to these audio books. Um, that is where I started to, you know, learn the skills that allowed me to use the other skills I had to create like my own opportunities. Um, yeah, because I'm a felon, you know, I've got six felonies, multiple you know, tons of misdemeanors. Um, I don't, I can't just walk in and get hired as myself. I can start a business, the business can get hired and I can work for the business, run the business. Um, that, that was a big shift that, that I learned, you know, two years ago now. And so what business did you end up working in? So I started a business called Dayton Renovation. Um, and that was originally intended to rehab places, um, for, you know, other investors to start to learn what they're doing. Um, ultimately that business got used to rehab my own places that I bought with partners. So I, they would use their money to buy the place. I would fix it up. That's how I would get my equity in it. Now I'm, I'm a vendor for Ohio University. Um, I do lab build outs, commercial building for them. Um, and so besides that, there's, there's other companies that, you know, uh, multi-member LLCs, other things like that I, I participate in. So. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. Now, as you were building this, and this is clearly a different track for you than McDonald's, right? So as you're building this, was there anything else that came into your life that radically elevated your success, shifted your mindset further and, and helped you develop the skills and tools that you're using today. Yeah. So, so all that, um, you know, the, the audio books, all the podcasts that ultimately led to the nonprofit I work with now, which is one life fully lived. They, they were, you know, the way I found them, it was, they were designed to help youth escape poverty. And I'm not a kid, but you know, I still looked into what they had to, you know, had going on. And I had never done goal setting. I had never done vision planning, um, working on, you know, specific relationships um, and like really working on myself to, you know, be the best person I can and achieve the most possible. Um, 
setting goals, setting a vision plan, looking forward. Um, there was one specific thing. It's a, you know, like a hundred year vision. It's, you know, you put yourself in that moment. Like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? Who's around you when you're a hundred years old? And I had never thought, you know, about myself 10 years out or five years out, even let alone, you know, where do I, where do I want this to end at? And I'll be happy. And um, that, that um, made me really emotional, but, you know, looking back and it's something I try to help others do is that gave me the ability to care about future me. Like, yeah, when we talked about, I don't want to die. Uh, you know, that was, that was a good like guiding star in the beginning, but being able to care about future me helps me save for future me and future my family. Um, it helps me make the health decisions, the time decisions, all these other decisions to get to that future vision, to the you know, to those future goals. This is a really interesting exercise, and I want to spend a little more time here because I think most people, you know, there are people that are goal oriented, of course, and if you're listening to the show, you're probably one of them. But I, I don't think most people sit there and say, "Hmm, what does it look like? What does my life look like when I'm 100?" You know, one, most people probably don't think they're going to be 100, and two, you know, this is something they don't do. So, so you described a couple of different things. You talked about health, and you talked about who's around you. So what are the specific, because I, I want this to be something that everybody listening to this can actually do. So what are the specific things in that 100-year vision that you need to ask yourself? Yeah, so it's, you know, the exercise itself, you know, you kind of find a quiet spot. You make sure you, you know, have the ability to think quietly um, and really go deep on this. But, you know, close your eyes. Um, you know, picture yourself when you're 100 years old. Uh, where do you want to live? Um, where, you know, what does the house look like? What does the cabin look like? What does the, you know, are you at the beach? These, these physical parts to it. All right, then what does it feel like? Is it warm out? Is it windy? Is there a light breeze? What can you hear? I mean, you really try to place yourself in the shoes, in, in your you know, future used shoes as you're there. Who's around you? What are the feelings? What are the emotions that you feel? And when doing that vision exercise, it's it's almost like a manifestation type thing where you try to, to experience it as if you're there. Um, to me that I had never felt worthy prior to that. That's, that was one of the, a, um, a very important uh, moment in my self-worth um, to think that I could have generations, you know, under me, like kids and my grandkids running around. Um, that was something that was just a pipe dream, but I let myself feel it and I let myself feel that I was worthy of having that. Um, and one of the things that you said that I really liked, and, and there's actually, Sterling, quite a bit of science behind that. And when you're visualizing something, the more detail-rich it is, and you're not just seeing it, but feeling it, the smells, the sensations. If you're on the beach, do you smell the ocean air? Do you feel the sun coming down on you? So I loved how detailed your visualization of that future self was. And I, I think that's one of the things that a lot of people miss in that 
technique of visualization. So thank you for sharing that. And then, so then I have to ask, so after you do this hundred year thing, then do you work backwards and start planning the steps? Is that what's next? Yep. That's, that's how they do it. Um, so yeah, from there, where do you know, where do you want to be at a hundred? And then you kind of, it's a sprint. Well, that's a whole other thing. Let me take that back. Um, yes. You just work your way back from there. What do I need to do to at 50 to make that, you know, realistic or 40 or then 30 and then, you know, what do I need to do the next five years and one year? What can I do this week to make that, you know, more likely of an outcome? Okay. And so the, such a powerful technique because now you then kind of, you know, if you've broken this down where it would be at 50, at 30, at 25, however old you are, you now can start actually building the steps into your daily life. What do I need to do to get there? What do I need to do every day, every week, every month, every year? I really like the metric of, does this get me closer to, or does this take me farther from where I want to be to? That's a, that's a super quick way to, to judge any decision or action. That's beautiful. I love that. Does it get me closer to, or does it take me further from? So take us through some of the other really critical skill sets that you found from one life that helped you accelerate your life to where you are today yeah um so besides the you know vision setting goal planning um the financial education so that was a big part of what they and it still is a big part of what they teach and you know as basic as just financial abcs knowing what's coming in knowing what's going out and then either paying off debt or investing the rest um <clears throat> Then increasing, you know, increasing your ability to earn. Um, so I thought I knew about money, you know, and I, maybe I did from like a, a street hustling perspective or as much as anybody else that can, you know, go use money at a gas station and, you know, buy something. Um, I had no idea how money truly works. Um, so I really dove into that financial education aspect and then you know, with budgeting and that falls back into, you know, does that get me closer to or farther from making the right financial decisions? So for me, without much money to start with, um, or the ability to leverage bank debt or anything like that. And, you know, I didn't, we didn't, we were still renters at the time. I had to get really creative. Um, and so the financial aspect and getting financially educated was huge. But then there's also the relationship aspect. So um, I, I do want to talk about the relationship, but I want to spend just another moment or two on the fin financial piece. And here's why. Because I think there are a lot of people listening to this or in general that probably don't have you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of disposable capital that they can use to in invest in things. And you said something interesting. You said when you started this journey in educating yourself on financial literacy, you had to get creative because you were a renter at the time. You weren't yet a homeowner. Talk to us, give us some examples of that creativity, how you used to shift from, you know, not having that capital towards being in a place where you had it and then could use it intelligently in other ways. Yeah, so for me, you know, I didn't, I'm not, I wasn't a high dollar per hour earner. Um, I didn't have big paychecks coming in. So the things that made the most sense for me were to like extremely, you know, tighten what our cost of living was like to, to really try to hone in on that. 
make our living expenses as low as possible uh, because, you know, the, the term is sweat equity. So I was able to trade my time, you know, and, and skills for equity in, say, a rental property. Um, so, the, you know, the $3,000 I had saved up, that necessarily didn't get invested into a, um, a property. I was, ended up being a landlord as a renter still before a homeowner. Um, that $3,000 bought my time back from what, it, what I would usually have to be out <clears throat> earning to pay the bills, to buy groceries, all these things. Um, that allowed me to go trade my time for equity, um, which is a future payoff. So it's this delayed gratification um, and in that, that was, a that, it was a very creative situation. Um, I had, I had located a, a f very distressed four unit, um, you know, didn't have it under contract. The person that I was initially going to buy it with, who was going to give me the same deal of, they would buy it. I would fix it up. We would split the, split the equity gained in doing that. Uh, he got called to Germany. COVID was just hitting at the time. Um, things were a little bit crazy. So it was actually a, a neighbor. The guy that, that owned the house next to the one I rented, he was fixing it up for his daughters. I you know, kind of strategically mentioned it to a few people. He, he stepped in. Um, and then another example of that creativity, um, we were three quarters of the, or I was three quarters of the way done rehabbing that four unit well he had used a self-directed ira to purchase the property to put down the money to buy the materials to fix it up well he can also loan money out with his self-directed ira so he gave me a a fifteen thousand dollar loan <clears throat> not due for four years at a really low interest rate and that money was to keep me from having to go out and do small jobs and miscellaneous, you know, jobs to pay my own bills that freed up my time significantly more. Well, by doing that, I was able to finish our first rental property up very quickly. Um, and then that also gave me money to put down on our first house. Very so. cool. And then I'm going to bring it back to where you were starting to talk about. You said relationships is a key tenant of what you were learning. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So for me, I mean, like for me specifically, because of my criminal record, um, relationships are just massive. They're massive for anybody, but I take it very seriously to, you know, not burn bridges to do what I say I'm going to do to, to really follow through. So the, it, besides, you know, the super clear, tangible part of, you know, where we started this conversation is, is who you surround yourself with. Um, in the beginning, it was people who were doing drugs and being derelicts and delinquents. And, you know, of course, that's who I became. Like, uh, I think, you know, I, there's a lot of negatives that came with COVID, but there was a lot of positives. All this started, you know, the beginning of 2020 uh, with COVID and right you know, at that same time. And it forced me not into isolation. You know, I had my family around. You can still communicate with people on Zoom. Um, but my biggest relationships in the beginning of my journey and in the positive side was the voices on audiobooks. It was the guys like you on podcasts. Those were my biggest relationships. They weren't physical people. 
Um, and that was huge for my self-worth. That was huge for my um, mindset. That was huge for, you know, the way I thought, um, the way I felt about myself, um, the ideas that I, you know, came up with, those, you know, the conversations you hear on podcasts, the conversations you you listen to in books aren't the ones that that a lot of people have in day-to-day conversation with people they interact with. So that was a huge blessing for me. Um, yeah. And tell us uh, what you're up to now. Tell us where your life is today. So today, um, yeah, today um, I have, you know, I own my home with no mortgage, um, which sounds awesome, but it's because I'm self-employed and so it's, I'm just now getting to the point where I'll be able to, you know, get leverage against the house and hopefully pull some money out of it. Um, I have two partnerships, one with some out-of-state people, one with the same partner I started with where we buy multifamily real estate. And then I try to spend as much time as I can with my kids going on adventures. We went to Alaska, Colorado, Idaho. Now we're here in Colorado. Or not Colorado, uh, Utah. Um, I try to, I try to just really enjoy my, enjoy my life. Um, and then giving back, that's, that's something that if it wasn't for what, like one life fully lived, what they had poured into me and like freely taught me, I wouldn't be here. So people in my situation with drug addiction, um, in and out of recovery, um, I try to teach the things that help me. So with One Life's help, I started a, you know, a, a new kind of branch with their nonprofit, and that's uh, the Rediscover Project. So it's the same entrepreneurial mastermind principle, just taking the people in recovery. I love it, and, and I think what's important to point out, and yeah, this, you you said it, but you didn't really say it. This trajectory, though the pieces were there, the the real rocket ship strapped to your back. Really, that all happened over the last couple of years. Which yeah. is what's incredible. It's what's incredible. Sterling, I, I loved hearing your story, your humility and, and where you are today and how you're, you're still making a difference, which is incredible. As you know, I ask everybody who comes on the show one question, and that is, what is your biggest helping Sterling, that one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? I would say the, the, the vision and making sure that you give yourself time to think that far into the future and that and let that let yourself dream big let yourself you know don't keep yourself boxed into some small you know well i'm i only deserve this or that's too much i'll never you know forget that like it's set your set your goals high you know aim high and really go after whatever you're passionate about. So well said. Sterling, thank you so much for coming on The Daily Helping. It was great having you here. Let me ask you one quick question. Where can people learn more about what you're doing online? Yeah, um, so my website is sterlingtrout.com. Okay, great. And uh, we will have that link to the show notes at thedailyhelping.com. So we've got you covered there. Again, Sterling, this was a, a great conversation. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you. Absolutely. And I want to thank each and every one of you as well who chose to take time out of your busy day and listen to my conversation with Sterling. 
If you like what you heard, go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post in your social media feed using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 